1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 85 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me like an imperial knight to his emperor, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey everybody,
0: guess that means that if I was single, then I'd be disobeying you, going and saving your daughter, and then winding up wanting to marry her. Or... something... (laughs) <laughs> Whatever Antares Draco is up to at this point,
1: I don't know why it is but that character just kind of right, uh, reminds me of Malfrey from uh, Harry Potter. I don't know something about it's his the Dr- name.
0: It's the Draco. It's the name. It's it. Be it.
1: It, up. it draws me in the Draco part. I'm just like I just keep thinking Malfrey. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like that's that whiny look on his face. I'm like knock it out. Where's Harry Potter when I need him? <laughs>
0: not much. Speaking of uh of whining, this is uh, we're recording this episode quite a bit um, earlier. Than we usually do. Um, we're actually recording this on the weekend of San Diego Comic Con, uh, which means that we're recording this on the 21st of July. Uh, we've recorded quite a bit uh ahead of time because we knew there was gonna be some time when you know I would be unavailable, Mark would be unavailable, just because our schedules were so crazy over the summer and whatnot. So, if you are someone who didn't get a chance to attend Comic Con or Uh, you didn't, I guess it'd be past tense now, probably, get a chance to attend Celebration Europe 2. There is, there's not really a lot in the way of exclusives to pick up if you're just an EU reader. There's an exclusive cover variant of Star Wars Volume 2 Number 7, which is basically the same art, just without all the, uh, the the titles and everything, a virgin style cover. And there's an alternate cover version, which is just kind of a zoomed in cover version of uh, Dark Times of Spark Remains Number 1, but not really a lot in the way of exclusives. However, just like last year during the convention time, they do have that sampler out there. Uh, uh, Carlos Munoz was kind enough to pick up one actually at the, uh, the convention and mail it to me. He actually mailed it to me so fast that I got it yesterday already, which is lightning fast coming from California nice. to Georgia. And I wanted to take a second in case you don't visit our Facebook page um, to let you know what is in that sampler For those who are out there thinking about hunting it down. Because it's given away free, but only at the conventions. And it's one of those things that's kind of tough to find afterwards. Sometimes they show up on eBay. Um, But as we saw last year, it's basically just excerpts and reprints of stuff that's already been in Insider. So it's not something that is an absolute must-have if you're trying to get all the stories if you already subscribe to Insider. But uh, this year's copy, which is a blue cover, the 2013 Star Wars Delray sampler, includes excerpts from... The Last Jedi, Dawn of the Jedi, Into the Void, Crucible, Kenobi, which is not out yet as of the time we're recording this, and, uh, let's see, Empire and Rebellion, Razor's Edge, also not out just yet, and uh, an excerpt from the making of Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Probably of most interest to folks who are EU fans, though, are what stories in here are reprints from the pages of Star Wars Insider. Uh, Basically, it covers Insider numbers 130, 131, 132, 135, and 137. So it gives us a short story, The Tenebrous Way, Maze Run, The Guns of Kelrodo I, Roll of the Dice, and The Last Battle of Colonel Jace Malcolm. So if you haven't got those stories, this is a way to get it, which may, depending on if you find it on eBay for a decent price or if you find somebody who uh, uh, picked it up and has an extra copy of it or something like that, you may be able to get it for cheaper than going down to hunting down all those individual issues of Insider if you're looking for the short stories. Um, but that's it. There's no new material whatsoever. It is just reprints and excerpts. And I think even the excerpts are reprints from ones that have been uh, printed in the back of other novels or in Insider. Nothing new to see. Uh, so not something to hunt down quite as as feverishly as some of the other stuff recently.
1: No. I'm curious what the other Beyonders think. I mean, personally, I would like to see Del Delray offer the insider stories in a collected work, kind of like the Lost Tribe of the Sith or the Tales of Books. I mean, the, uh, granted, I have most of them. But again, I would love to have a book, a paperback version that I can put on my bookshelf. Uh, my insider magazines do not sit with my books and stuff. So those stories, while I have them, they're not as readily accessible as the rest of my library. I would love to have reprints of those in a book form. I don't know. Other Beyonders, am I right? Am I wrong? Would you like to see this too? Is there an interest out there?
0: I think the, the, the whole issue with it is simply the fact that since it is stuff that's been printed before, I would imagine that it's something where the profit margin going to be less because they're not putting out something new that people are going to scramble to get. It'll be kind of like the paperbacks where you had the paperbacks with the reprints of, say, ebooks in it. Some people might get it to be able to get that printed version of the ebook, But at the same time, a lot of folks will say, eh, I've already got the ebook on my e-reader, on my computer, whatever. I've already got the hardback. There's no point in getting this just to put the two of them together. At least that's what I would assume. Otherwise, it seems like it would make very little sense for them not to have published more anthologies since so many people have been asking for them. And the stories already exist. Uh, do that with yeah. hyperspace or something as opposed to doing the web shorts that they – I don't know if you guys know this. They took a lot of the old – Star Wars hyperspace short stories that were put up there. And they recently, well, relatively recently, since hyperspace died and StarWars.com became a pretty picture dumbed down website. Um, they took those and they've put them up on Suvudu, S-U-V-U-D-U that Del Rey site where uh, if, you, if you do a search, it's basically just like a list of short stories, which I thought was kind of cool. They've made them available again for the most part.
1: Nice. Well, I just think about like me and you. I mean, we're fans with when it comes to Insider that have, you know, stepped away and it's that exclusive content that keeps us coming back. Well, I mean, especially me. If it wasn't for those exclusive stories, I would just say eh to Insider altogether. But I'm sure there are those fans out there that are just done with Insider. They're like, I'm not giving another dime. And I think for them, I I think there's a. I don't I, I don't know I want I want to say there's a large number but obviously it's not as large as I'm thinking but there's got to be some numbers there people that are just like you know I'm done giving my money to insider I've been hosed over enough with subscriptions with the other bs with the lack of content that I like and then they of course you know they finally figured that out and they slid back in in the stories but that seems you know for an EU fan like me that's really the the limit of what I enjoy in Insider. There isn't as much EU stuff. There isn't very much EU news coming out right now. And what does come out, it, it's kind of got to be filtered. Like, you got to make sure that, you know, you could follow the source back. I mean, th- there's this whole ordeal that I've been going over with trying to figure out where the on hold for Sword of the Jedi originally came from, because I'm not seeing anything beyond conjuncture and, and people kind of running with a, a, a collective words. Uh, I mean, Club Jade had something where they speculated about, you know, well, Kemp's stuff was on hold. Maybe this is why. And then other people were using that post as a, well. It's Kemp's is on hold and so is this. And, and, but the more I try to track that down, the less I'm finding a concrete you know, this is where it came from. The most I'm getting right now is it came from this interview. And even those, it's like, well, even that, the wording is kind of loose there. That, That's not necessarily... I, so I'm trying to track that stuff down. And I don't know, that, that's where I, I, I get a little convoluted with my thought processes there. Because it's just, I don't know, there's so many different conflicting stories out there right now, man. I don't know. I just, I, I, I want good news and I don't trust Insider.
0: Yeah, Insider basically for me is just to get the short stories. And at least they show up in a baggie, so usually they're not beaten up for me. I still am having all kinds of trouble with the Clone Wars magazine showing up beaten up, getting replacement copies. I realized this summer that I never got issue number 18 at all, even though I had just renewed like two months before that. So I've had to call them, and hopefully they've sent the replacement for whatever never got to me or never got shipped, but still haven't shown up yet, again, as of when we're recording this. So speaking of convoluted, though, The topic we're dealing with this time is another trade paperback, but it is one where convoluted kind of comes into play because the issues are very shuffled around from the way that they were originally released. So what are we talking about this time?
1: Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. You know, those questions that have bothered you for a long time or the simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode we continue our look forward into the future of that galaxy far, far away with Star Wars Legacy Shards. Collecting issues 4, 8 through 13 of the Legacy series by Dark Horse Comics. Now consider this your spoiler warning beyonders and intentions of all ages because here we go. Now, when he says
0: it's issues 4 and then 8 through 13, that is correct. And that is how you would have read these issues as they came out. This is the one that shuffles things a lot, because these stories are somewhat disconnected. It's basically, and they're right, shards. It's little pieces of the picture slowly building up the background and some of the connective tissue that's going to bring us uh, into a greater understanding of this era and from Broken to the next arc. But what we get in the actual trade paperback, and this is the order we're going to cover them. in case you're someone who has that or the original issues, um, is Allies, which is number eight, then Noob, which is number four, that filler issue where they had to shift back the last couple of parts of uh, Broken, the original story arc. Then you've got nine and ten, which are trust issues, part one and two. Then we have issue number 13, Ready to Die, followed by issues 11 and 12, Ghosts. I'm not sure that you need to read them in this order to be able to understand it all, but it is a shuffled around kind of strange order the way that they've dealt with this trade
1: paperback. Well, another thing that, that was interesting to me, because I have these all in singles, I didn't have them in the trade, was that the cover for the trade paperback itself is actually the end of the broken Arc, uh, Legacy Number no. 7, where we've got Luke Skywalker's Force Ghost on the cover. Now, as you said, Nathan, you know, the Shards aspect of how it's all fragmented that kind of works because, you know, most of this story is kind of set during that or, or even before that. Very little is actually pushing the timeline forward at this point. It's more expanding what we've already got. And I, I think it does a good job in continuing to propel the story.
0: Yeah, and they do a good job in the individual issues of letting you know when each part of the story takes place. Uh, I've been very frustrated with Dawn of the Jedi being completely unable to get their own date in the front of the comic right still after two story arcs. The first date was correct for the very, very beginning of Force Storm because it goes all the way back to the beginning of all the flashback-style events in the first issue of Force Storm. And ever since then, they have not been able to get the interior date for le- for a Dawn of the Jedi right to save their lives. Legacy, they've got it right. Even for the oddball issue that jumped back in time, they make sure the date in the front is correct. So kudos to them for actually Doing that. Um, So we start out with the issue which was released as issue number eight. It is the first issue in this second trade paperback called Allies. And Allies is the one he was referring to that flashes back to around the same time as what we saw in the beginning of Broken, the first issue, where we're getting basically uh, the year 130 ABY as opposed to 137, where most of the story takes place. And we're seeing the events surrounding the Battle of Osis and the surrender of the Galactic Alliance and all, but we're seeing it from the point of view of the Imperials. Uh, not necessarily the Sith Imperials, the Sith Empire as it grows, or the Sith Imperial War, but the Imperial side of it, uh, with the Sith being sort of the outsiders that they are wary of. Uh, we start with Nina Calixta, as I think how you're supposed to pronounce it, um, who at this point we only know as Nina, uh, and she is having essentially a, a brief, argument discussion with Emperor Rowan Fell while he is still the Emperor Uh, and we get the sense here that Fell had no idea of what exactly was going on. Fell didn't start the war it was that the Sith approached Nina. Nina and Moth Morlish Veed worked together to instigate the war and then you know the year into the war here comes the Sith to help the Empire win and Fell is shocked by this but really can't turn away to help and now here we are getting to the end of the Sith Imperial War, and uh, it's all been sort of a power play by Nina and Morlish, and Fel recognized that his days are probably done. We see here uh, the the demand for surrender and the the alliance surrender itself from the point of view of them watching a transmission from Veed. Um, We interestingly see a situation where we have them talking, and as they're talking, and as Fel is talking about how he does not want the Jedi to be destroyed, he wants the Jedi to withdraw and be allowed to surrender, um, it's used as a trap. Uh, that is why the Battle of Osis took place back in issue number one that we saw. Uh, we find that Nina and Morlish have this plan where they figure once Rowan Fell is out of the way, that, hey, Morlish Veed will be the new Emperor because the Sith will need someone to put on the throne. Um, what we soon find is that uh, thanks to Malady, one of the Sith lords, thanks to Darth Malady, uh Nina learns that they are going to kill Fel uh, whenever they finally have the Sith arrive and sort of crash the the big announcement that the war is over. Um, she warns Fell to escape. Uh, so that's why Fell has the body double in issue number one. Then we actually have a segment that crosses over with issue number one, which we get into uh and a little bit how they managed to cross this over. And as we see the death of the imposter and the Imperial Knights who are protecting him and Darth Crate taking the throne, we see the actual escape of Rowan Fell. He wasn't gone before that, he was gone essentially during that whole series of events. Uh, And we end with essentially uh Malady and Calixta basically Butting heads a little bit over this idea of how Rowan Fell could have managed to escape, and the idea that it's going to be Nina's job, as technically the head of Imperial Intelligence, though Malady is now going to be officially in charge, um, that Nina's main job is going to be to hunt down Rowan Fell, which is interesting because she's the one who let him escape. So, in theory, she could sort of lead them astray until the, she believes the time is right to actually find where Fell is. I thought this was a great issue in the way that it gave us a different perspective, almost the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern style perspective, except with a little more depth, um, on the events of Broken Part 1, just like that play does with Hamlet. It's cool to see the machinations behind the scenes, and I actually found myself wanting more and more of these to fill in more background and was kind of torn. I like seeing the the story get pushed further ahead, but at that point, I remember being so interested in just the setting of legacy that I wanted more of this type of thing before we got too far ahead in the story.
1: Yeah. And and that's what they do a really good job of the back and forth. I mean, uh, you know, Nina's character is one that, you know, still even on the rereads perplexes me. I don't quite fully understand what her motives, not just in this arc, but overall were, I mean, it's like she plays all sides against each other. Uh, One of the things that I noticed, though, uh, you know, I mentioned it in the last arc, you know, which was broken, how his daughter, uh, Ronfell's daughter, had the blue lightsaber. All the Imperial Knights had silver ones. He himself has a silver one. I had originally assumed that he had a blue one, too, uh, which is just interesting because it makes sense that his is silver and that all the rest of the Knights kind of mirror his. It's also interesting that he allows his daughter to have her own. Which kind of makes me wonder if down the line, if the Imperial Knights are all going to change theirs to blue to match hers now that she's in charge. But that that's getting ahead of myself. But I, I don't know. The whole aspect of when he figures it out and he's got the blade held to her. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like how he figures it out. And he gets his, his cousin involved. I, I like that background story, how we see that, how the event in Broken isn't what we thought it was, the flipping on your on its head. Like like you said, Nathan, wanting more of the backstory in that regard, I was really getting a kick out of it. Um and, and I'm always a big fan of going back with a lot of stories and, and, and slipping arcs and stuff like that in where you could do it and there is still some room there where you could kind of go back and flesh that out more because yeah they did give you a lot of backstory but at the same time there's a lot of stuff open i mean you could set a book about cole skywalker and when him and the Yuzen and bong started all this and have the sith as the bad element kind of going around and sabotaging it but you never find out like the book like ends but they don't realize that the Sith were the ones doing it and it could go right into this comic. I mean, there is a lot of, of ground in that regard that's still open and closed uh, at the same time. I, I love, though, how, like you had mentioned, where Fel's talking about the Jedi Order and he goes, you do not understand the Jedi, Colexi. Once the Empire destroyed the Jedi Order, I will not permit it to do so again. The Jedi will withdraw from the Temple on Coruscant to the Academy on Asis. It is my explicit order that they'd be allowed to do so. And, you know, like you said, it was a total trap. I mean, now they've all been able to round themselves up for the Sith to come in and exterminate them. And that's uh, also kind of where things start to go awry from, you know, Nix or Naya. Naya. Is that Naya? I got to see Nina. Naina. I have to have it in front of me or I can't. I put an X in there, but this is where you see Naya's plans kind of starting to shift. And, and, From, you know, from the overall story aspect, you would have kind of thought that she'd have seen the betrayal of the Sith coming. Like, she seems smarter than that. Like, that betrayal coming at the last minute, taking her by surprise. I don't know. On the reread, that doesn't quite sit as well with me I kind of question it more on the reread as my first time through I I didn't have any idea where her character was going so I bought into it but on the reread I'm like really she didn't have an angle on that she wasn't trying to play something here she didn't see that coming like I don't know I would have thought her character saw that coming
0: yeah she seems to be a very erratic character especially the more that we learn about her I don't think that I ever really got a firm grasp on her in a lot of ways although I like to think that in this reread uh, we'll get a better grasp. of which her where her true loyalties lie, what is her actual motivation, and that sort of thing. Um, three things stood out to me about this particular issue. One is, I do like the fact that this sets the groundwork that Rowan Fell did not order the Slaughter on Oasis. Uh, it, it was one of those things that kind of had me scratching my head a little bit uh, when people were talking about this series and how they want to see the different factions come together uh, before this issue was released, because the thought was, how could you get Rowan Fell's sort of empire in exile hooked up with the Jedi and maybe the Galactic Alliance, but especially the Jedi. If the empire is the one that that wiped out so many of the Jedi, why would they ever trust Fell? But here we've got the groundwork being laid fairly early on to kind of quell those doubts, saying, "Look, it wasn't his idea." You know, it he was against the idea of the slaughter, so at least that gives him a chance to to not be painted in that same brush necessarily. A uh, second thing that stands out to me is the artwork. Um, This is something they do a lot in Legacy. When it is not a main story that focuses on Cade Skywalker and his immediate companions, Jan Dursima is not drawing the issue. It happens pretty much every single time in this series that it's not a Cade story, Uh, probably to give her more time to work on the ones that are. So you have these guest artists that come in, and this issue it's Adam Deckraker, D-E-K-R-A-K-E-R, and I think he did a pretty good job. It's not exactly the style of Dursum, it's kind of the uh the light, if you want to say it like that, but it's close enough in style that I don't think it necessarily takes anybody out of the story. The third thing that stood out to me is the way they make uh the scene in which we see the repeat of events in issue one uh play into the issues of or play into this issue. We have uh just kind of going back and forth here, in issue number one. We've got the narration about Coruscant. And then we have um, a character delivering, delivering the information about the end of the war. Okay? We find out in this issue there was a paragraph before it. In this issue, it's... All the Galactic Alliance's governmental offices will remain in place as we transition to the Empire. Their ruling triumvirate has agreed to remain as well under your, under our command, of course. Finally... And then it crosses over with the other issue, and we get the same dialogue as in the first issue. Ossus has fallen, and the Jedi Order is broken. What few Jedi remain are scattered throughout the galaxy? Uh, Your Imperial Majesty, my fellow moths, the war is over, and the galaxy is again ours. Okay, so that's stuff that we got in the first issue. Then, of course, the Sith walk in. Eh, what's this? Who dares? Exactly the same, even with the eh in front of it. Darth, great! Okay, still, keeping with the first issue. And then, as it shifts to show our characters, very much like in a movie, where they would have the voiceover of of some other events kind of fade out briefly, and only come back in when necessary so that you're not having dialogue over dialogue, they do that here in a very cinematic way in the issue where he says, ah, our Sith allies. And in the original comic, it continues to say, uh, you're early, Lady Malady, Lord Crate, Lord Nil. We had heard you were wounded at Osis, but I see the reports exaggerate. And Lord Weirlock. That's not happening in this issue, because in this issue, while they're saying that, we are hearing dialogue from the Imperial Knight and Rowan Fell, who are at the time escaping. Then it picks up with the exact same dialogue as we have in issue one. The Empire owes you much. Our victory would not be possible without you. What reward would you name? And then it gets to the thing that kind of bothers me. Because these are both written by Jan Dursima, and they're only written seven issues apart. Crate answers in this issue, your life. He answers in the other issue, number one, your life. Emperor fell, and then again, it's the same. Imperial Knights save your emperor. Imperial Knights save your emperor. Same thing. Okay, we don't see in issue number eight uh, the command by. Uh, Veed to tell the others not to interfere and let uh, the guy get cut down. We see more of the actual fight in this issue than we did otherwise. And then we get to the point where Krait is sitting on the throne. Uh, and what, you ask, is the meaning of this? fell never really embraced the war or the idea of a unified galaxy. He went along with it as a political necessity. That's not what the Empire, what the galaxy, needs. All of it Again, exactly the same as in this issue and the first issue. The galaxy writhes in chaos and disorder. It requires a man of vision. I am that man of vision. I am the new emperor. Or at least that's what it says in the original. Here, exact same dialogue, except instead of saying, I am the new emperor, it's, therefore, I am the new emperor. And the original first issue goes on from there. This one shifts to the conversation between Nina and Malady. And while I love the fact, I'm torn on this, I love the fact that they made it exactly parallel uh, as far as the two events so that we kind of know what was happening. It gives us a new perspective when we go back and read Broken Part 1. On the other hand, barring an Emperor fell and a therefore, they are otherwise exactly the same. Why not make them exactly the same? Why have those two errors in making them mirror each other? I don't get that unless these are both in production at the same time, and they tweak those things at the last minute, maybe during lettering or something to make them fit the word balloons. And at some point, a word got lost here or there between the two. You get an extra emperor fell in the first one. You get an extra therefore in this one. Um, it's one of those sort of, of, of blemishes that it does it so well. You know, you almost got that 100% A+, plus, but you had some extra words and messed up words here and there, so you still get an A, <laughs> but you don't get that A+. plus. You are no longer um, a, a perfect in your parallel.
1: Well, I think when when it comes to the Your Life Emperor Fell, I think the reason why they left that one off was just in case someone didn't catch that this is a body double. Because if you were to call that one Emperor Fell, then they'd be like, well, wait, I thought the guy I was following in the panel above that was Emperor Fell. I think in that case, it was a case of dummying it down. Uh, that That's the only one that makes sense to me. Uh, the one thing I like though about that scene as well is that we also learn that the knight leading the Imperials, the Imperial Knight Savior Emperor, him is actually Fel's cousin. Uh So you know, even though Fell knew what was coming down and had a body double, he sacrificed his cousin. I mean, he pretty much knew his cousin wasn't going to get out of there. I don't know. I, I I it's cool that Crate's the one that cuts him down. I like the insight, seeing these events from the other side of things. I think it's slick. Uh, um. I did not notice the dialogue thing there, you know, the whole therefore, I really think that's just a case of them dumbing it down for, you know, somebody who just grabbed it. Uh, so if you grabbed this one, opened it up, you wouldn't necessarily be as lost as those of us that have read it and seen the other parts. Uh, but again, I, I, I think this issue and mainly this whole arc do a very good job of expanding, you know, you, your awareness of what's going on gets expanded greatly. Uh, you know, it's a bold experiment, this whole jumping 140 years into the timeline and and dumping everything in their lap. You know, I mean, we got the two zero issues that did a good job of kind of fleshing it out a bit, giving you an idea where you're jumping in. I really think overall Dark Horse did a good job in that as we're going to continue as we jump backwards to issue four.
0: That's right. Issue four is noob. And this is another of these that is essentially a filler issue in terms of artwork. It is not a main Story as far as Cade Skywalker goes. So instead of Jan Dursima doing the art, we get Travel Foreman. And usually, I'm not a big fan of Travel Foreman's artwork. I'm not a big fan of the art in this, but it fits the tone of the story so well that any complaints I have about the art in this issue kind of go out the window because it really does fit the feel of the story. Uh, we pick up on Yincore and we basically have a man named Anson Trask showing up, and he is the noob, the newbie. And may I say how much I hate the idea that newbie became noob and that became a Star Wars term. That is moronic. I hate the name of this issue. I hate the idea that the term is in Star Wars. Now we got to kind of live with it, but it's annoying as hell to me. Um, anyway, <laughs> so he shows up. He's supposed to be a member of Joker Squad uh, on Yincor. And they are operating under the supervision of Lord Malaval, who is uh, the first. Well, I wouldn't even say the first. He's he's a quorin um, Sith. And we see one that doesn't get a name back in Broken and then we see this one and we're going to see another one later. But they're all different characters, apparently. Um, I don't know how we're supposed to tell. They're all red with the Sith tattoos. Just make sure you follow the dialogue. So, Lord Malabal is there. We meet Joker Squad, who includes, of course, among others, Hondo Carr, who is said to possibly have been a Mandalorian, though he doesn't talk much. Hondo Carr's story will build from here, um, though quite a bit down the line and then kind of stop dead, and meet their lieutenant, Gil Cassell, C-A-S-S-E-L, Cassel or Castle. And while we don't get a lot of time to like the members of Joker Squad, um, we see them in battle, and they finally get you know, one of those orders that causes them conflict, because they are ordered by Malabal to go after another group of the Imperial Stormtroopers, except these Imperial Stormtroopers have chosen to side with Rowan Fell. So they're basically ordered to fire on their own people, with the argument being they're not our own people. As soon as they wound up signing with Fell, they betrayed the true empire, and therefore they must be brought down. So you're going to follow orders or not. And to make matters worse, uh, Cassell's brother is actually the leader or the the, the officer in charge of that other stormtrooper group. So we see them go into battle. You know it's it's going to tear them apart emotionally, the tension is there automatically because of what they're having to do until the point where Malabal orders Gil to kill his brother basically uh, as as an object lesson to everyone else. You know, I've brought your brother, he is the last one left, Jared Cassell, um, you're going to kill him. And even the leader of Joker Squad is like, hell no, what are you doing? You know, uh, He did everything you asked, don't make him do this, kind of arguing against it um, to the point where Cassell finally says no, uh, he refuses, uh, his exact line, is that there are something's more important than duty, than life. And this leads to a brief scuffle in which Malabal is killed, and Joker Squad is able to kind of ride it off, and uh, Hondo Carr leaves Joker Squad in the Empire, not realizing in our, on our part that he's going to come back later. Um, it really feels like a very self-contained little story, but it does an incredibly good job of showing the, the the regular run-of-the-mill Imperial side of this situation. Here we've looked at the everything from the Jedi and the Alliance point of view in Broken, then we've seen the Imperial side at least of the Battle of Osis and the things surrounding it in allies, and now here we are finding the Imperials torn between two masters, in a sense, in Noob. Um, for a... Th- A standalone issue that has very little ties to anything else and something that has alternate artwork. I'm surprised how much I still like this issue uh, in the context of the broader series. Usually the throwaway issues are the ones that I kind of scoff at in the long run, but not this one.
1: Yeah, I really like this one. Um, You know, we'll probably at some point maybe discuss, you know, this arc beyond – uh, you know, this is the one arc in the Legacy series that's always kind of bothered me because, you know, it wrapped up, they did Legacy War, and as we will find out later, there's a Mandalorian angle here that is left, as Nathan said, wide open. So if they ever go back to it or something, maybe when we're done with all the Legacy stuff, if they haven't gone back and continued that arc, then... Uh, Maybe we'll come back and and just collect these and do a quick smaller episode where we just talk about those because it was one of my favorite arcs that was intertwined or or laced throughout the overall arc. Uh, But as you said, you know, the the whole uh, run of the mill, getting a different point of view, I liked from the noob's perspective, there's a moment where he goes, uh, you know, me, I found it hard to pick a target, but I finally figured it out. And he's looking at, at, uh, Gastang and gastang has got a, another trooper lining in behind him or her. I think I think Gustang's the lady, and uh, he's like heads up, Gestang, and he starts shooting. And he shoots the other trooper. Nice shot, noob. Finally figure out who the enemy is. Yeah, anyone trying to kill a Joker, I got your big, I got your back, Gestang. Lead on, and that's how he got through his first day. I. I I don't know. I'm with you. You know, the art change didn't throw me off. I actually I I liked it. I thought because you were shifting to a trooper's point of view that the art shifting kind of made sense. Uh, You know, again, with the whole the shards aspect of this arc, I think that the changing of the artist as well gave you that feel of, okay, I'm in a different time. I'm in a different setting. I'm in a different point of view. And these different points of view help paint the bigger picture. And this is why I love the legacy story so much. Uh, You know, to, to give you a minor spoiler, I mean, Carr is one of my favorite characters. And at this point, we don't know the backstory of him. But yes, he was a Mandalorian. We will later find out how he joined with the 501st. But this is more his tale of defection. And he was able to use all the chaos that went down in the, in the two sides to basically die and and hide his defection. And so his story will again pick up and we'll find out where he goes from there. I was very interested in his character. And when his character came back and came back and came back, I believe he came back four times throughout the whole story. I wanted more. And when they got to the end and they, they said legacy war was coming, I was like, okay, finally we're going to get our Mandalorian angle. Cause I, I want to know what was going to happen to this character. They never went there, you know. We got Legacy Volume Two, and I'm still, are we going to get our Mandalorian angle? Are they going to? But it's not a John and Jan story that Legacy Volume Two. So there's that side of me that says, well, you know, maybe they're holding on to that for something. I this was such a good story the overall. It's not conclude, you know, it's not concluded in this arc. It begins in this arc. The whole noob aspect, the whole Joker Squadron, and and, and other stuff later. But it was so impactful to me that. Having it show up here while it's a little off, it still works because that other story, you don't even know it's coming yet. And yet this story also serves a purpose in the shards arc of giving you that broader picture. That is something that that John Ostrander has always been good at at doing he you know i i say john and jan are my dream team you know they have been for the longest time because this is how they deliver this is the one aspect that i i've always said john jackson miller has has seen and ran with i mean that that aspect of lacing it together in such a way you don't realize it's there it's not shoved in your face it's put in your face subtly it's like barnum and bailey where they fry and saute up the onions not to serve them to you just to get you through the tent The other thing about this, too, that was was funny is the turnover rate for the 501st. By the time the issue ends, you know, the sergeant's been laid up. He's going to basically be recovering for a while. And now the noob is put in, you know, Trask's now in charge. And so he ends up getting the new newbie and he's basically the veteran. And, you know, you, you also watch that life cycle, the cycle of a trooper. You know, here he come in. He was new by the end of the issue. He's no longer new. He's now dealing with the new green and he's the seasoned soldier. And so you have that aspect as well. I, I really like the way it works. Granted, it, it kind of feels a little off, but because of the aspect that you're dealing with, the Empire, the Sith, how that all fits together, it works, and it works well.
0: That brings us into issues 9 and 10, another of these stories that does not focus on Cade Skywalker, though does reveal something important about him. It's called Trust Issues, and this uh, two-parter has art by Colin Wilson, who... You may know as the artist of the Invasion series. And I gotta I say. I was
1: gonna say this has a very Invasion look to their faces. <laughs> but not
0: nearly as crazy, jagged, and weird as what we got with Invasion. It seems as though he. Yeah. If that is his style, it was toned down for this or exaggerated for that. Um, we start with Hosk Trelis. Uh That is the Bothan Jedi that Cade caught back in, in a broken part two. And uh, we saw him also in Broken Part 3 that he turned over to Nim to be turned over to the Sith. This character that, you know, you usually don't think is going to come back, turns out he's back, he's in Imperial custody here, though I remember being like, wait, who is this again? And having to flip back through previous issues. Um, he's being questioned by malady. Uh, he reveals uh, that he believes that Cade is a Jedi out there. And this sets the Sith on this idea that, you know, he's a Skywalker, we think he's a Jedi, um, we need to capture him for Darth Krate, which causes Nina Calixta, who is tasked with finding him, to realize, you know, we need to find Cade, but we need to get to him, her and Morlish Veed, that is, before Krate can get to him. That's how she's able to get the the support to send one, supposedly one of her own agents after Cade. Um, we will find by the end of this arc that there's more to it than it seems, but she's sending, she says, Morrigan Cord a... A uh, imperial agent who has been in somewhat retirement at this point uh, to go out and try to find Cade before he can be found by Crate's people, uh, the One Sith. We also find that Cade is apparently on the wheel or has passed through the wheel, which is a location being brought back from all the way back in the Marvel stuff, which I thought was pretty cool. Which is also, however, the site of an upcoming meeting between two somewhat unlikely but necessary allies. fell's uh, imperial remnant, if you want to call it that, his deposed uh, emperor's empire, and the Galactic Alliance remnant, which is the first time we're really going to a chance to see them in the person of their leader, Gar Stasi, the man who did not surrender his forces uh, after the defeat of the Galactic Alliance. So uh, we've got kind of two storylines going on at once. We see Gar Stasi and the representative of the Empire, or Fell's Empire, discussing terms of possibly working together um, in light of their trust issues that they have, hence, you know, the name of the Ark. Meanwhile, we see Morrigan Kord, this agent supposedly of Nina's, showing up on the wheel, and finding that there's another Imperial agent already there trying to get to uh, Kate. And she basically is like, hey, you know, she kind of derails his attention saying, hey, there's this meeting that's going on. We want to stop this meeting. So she does have Imperial uh, goals at heart here, in a sense. Uh, We're going to stop this alliance between the Galactic Alliance Remnant and Fell. So they work up basically a plan that by the second issue, they put into motion to put a little uh, droid type of device onto uh, one of the ships. So that I think it's the Imperial ship, so that it fires on the Alliance ship. So while the negotiations are going on, the two ships that are docked relatively near each other start basically into a firefight. It breaks down any chance, at least initially it seems, of there being an alliance between the two, but at the same time gives Cade time to leave the wheel and wind up on Osus. And we're going to find him on Osus in the last two issues of this trade paperback, issues 11 and 12, which actually followed this arc in the print order, but does not... In relation to the way that they are in the trade paperback. Uh, and we find that Cord, when she's there on OSIS, um, she doesn't actually go after Skywalker. She kills the other agent that's with her that she kind of uh, uh, took along the way to make sure that he was out of the way. She kills him and chooses not to go after Kate. And we find out why. She pulls out this thing on her necklace, it's like a hologram emitter on her necklace, and it shows, and it's kind of hard to tell honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that we have a flashback coming immediately thereafter, because the art is different than Dersima's, um, we get a picture of a man, a woman, and a baby. And turns out, Morrigan Cord is the mother of Cade Skywalker. That she was an Imperial agent, that for a while, she had sort of left her duties behind, and she had had a secret love affair with Cole Skywalker, and they had Cade. And Cade was left with Cole because she wasn't really in a position to be uh, a mother, in a sense, here. Um, it, it's really kind of a shocking thing the way that that this conversation plays out. Uh, when she's leaving, it's a flashback to her leaving to go back to her imperial duties and whatnot. Uh, Cole, who we see here back from issue number one, says, uh, "Morgan, you don't have to do this." She says, "I was an imp agent when we started, Skywalker. You knew the deal. Having a kid was never part of my career plan, and it isn't now." Kind of makes you wonder why she had the kid. Was it his urging? Did they not have abortion in the galaxy far, far away? Was this a message against abortion? Though I doubt it. Um, It's, I've been over two years out in the field, or so the Empire thinks. I've been called back. I'm going. It's that simple. Morgan, I'm a Jedi. I can feel your emotions. You're torn between going and staying. Why not stay with me and our son? And do what? Go with you to Osis? Be Cade's mommy? Do you think the other Jedi would let me raise Cade? He's a Skywalker, heir to a great name, and he'll be just as trapped by it as you are, Cole. Cole, look. Our meeting was an accident. I regret nothing of our time together, especially not Cade. But we have different paths to follow. Mine lies with the Empire, and Cade is better off going with you to Ossus. And then she chooses not to say goodbye to him. Says Cade's asleep. Do you want to say goodbye to him before you leave? If I looked at him, I couldn't leave. Goodbye, Cole. And she walks away. And because she couldn't say goodbye then, her next line of dialogue, as she's standing there alone on Osses, couldn't then, can't now. Goodbye, Cade. And she gets back on her ship and leaves without ever coming face to face with Cade, without him knowing that she essentially just saved him from this other Imperial agent. And at this point, that's all we know. That was mind-blowing enough to know that Cade Skywalker's mother was an Imperial agent, Morgan Cord. We are going to find, as the story progresses, and I think at this point it's not really super spoilerish because... It's been years ago when these things were printed. If you haven't read it by now, I don't know what you're waiting for. Uh, at this point, we still don't know that the true nature of Morgan Cord and Nina Calixte is that they are the same character. That Morgan Cord and Nina Calixte are the same individual, and you got to wonder which one is the personality that was first, which one was the cover, and which one wasn't. You would think that Nina yeah. would have to be the real one to get in her position of power. Power and Morgan was just a a persona she took on, but maybe it was the other way around. At this point. We don't even know they're the same. All we are is having our minds blown by the fact that, holy crap, we now know who Cade's mother was, and she's still alive out there. Uh, a cool, revelatory pair of issues without actually seeing Cade, except briefly on some holograms and monitors.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the overall story had me so more confused. I mean, at the, I didn't realize at that time that they were going to be the same lady. And then there was the whole issue of what's driving her, you know, and then you find out, okay, well, it's the mom. And then you're like, well, why would you, you're kind of like, what a heartless mom. (laughs) But I don't know, for me, it was the little details that, that really jumped out at me. I mean, granted, some of the details weren't so good, but, you know, take, take the first page of, of trust issues. Part one, you know, there's a little image of Coruscant. Where you see the Imperial home world, you see the Jedi Temple now with its uh, translucent like look, but you also see the Rainbow Bridge. Uh, they don't give much detail to it, but it's there in the background, so you know that that's still there. If you're uh, you know, fan of the New Jedi Order, you know that the Vong destroyed one of Coruscant's moons, moved the planet, they created a rainbow bridge around it. Then, of course, uh, the books kind of never really mentioned it much again. I think they've instance, it once or twice in the next three-book series or four-book series that followed. So it was nice to see Legacy remembered the fact that the Vong had done so much permanent change to Coruscant. Uh, and then there's you know, some little things like... E- while the torture's going down, you see the new version of the Imperial probe droid. Um, they look kind of like squid or jellyfish, and the same thing happens in the next issue, number ten, when they throw those saboteur type droids. They kind of have a squid-like look as well. I-, I just I like the the direction of the technology. It kind of seems like the Mon Calamari ha- have kind of really taken over a lot of the technological aspects of it. Kind of like they're the new Quat granted they were always kind of rivals of Quat, but it seems like they're now the dominant building force uh because it, it just seems like most of the technology in this aspect has that that aquatic like look to it uh now the Botan himself uh Treyless, I like bots you know there's there's no denying that but the thing I, I enjoy the most is how he kind of has a ever morphing face like botsons kind of sometimes look like horses sometimes look like people and this one kind of like from the angle he does both <laughs> I don't know I, I just I like the way that that worked out um, you know and he's getting a brutal torture I don't even know exactly what's going on with these probe droids but they're deep and they're coming out with a lot of blood and of course the guy whatever she did he immediately cracks after saying he's not going to tell her anything and then gives her all the information he needs they need from it it's like man you are just a a very weak Jedi and of course then she drops the bomb about him being a Skywalker there is a scene with the Emperor where he is talking to Gunner and with Draco Uh, and there's a moment there he's mad at the fact that they went after his daughter and he basically he he retcons his orders and I thought that was an interesting moment Um, I'm trying to find where exactly he says it But uh, he's talking to me. uh, He's like, oh, I've already decided what to do with both of you. I'm going to give you both a medal. And when he's saying that, this is my only complaint with the art. When he says that, the look on those two's faces, they don't even look like each other. They, they, they look like they've been aged like 20 years in that image. Like, the Draco looks like he's missing an eye. Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's like, was the, the artist drunk when he drew that one panel? Because they look so crisp and, and young in these other images. And then that one is like, it's very much uh, Invasion. That 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 jagged style you were talking about, Nathan. But he, uh, I, I want to find the exact spot where he talks about retroactively doing it. Um, let's see. He goes, uh, no one else was present when I gave you my command. Only we three. So I'm retroactively approving your mission. If I punish you, then I'd have to reveal you disobeyed me. And that would undermine my authority. Some might question my judgment in authorizing such a mission. But after all, Saya is my daughter. People will understand. It's a human flaw. Some will like me better for it. Of course, I must recognize the efforts of the two gallant heroes who saved, say thus, the medals. And as our foremost heroes, it will only be proper that I assign the most dangerous missions to you. Who knows, I may award you other medals, posthumously. And he goes close to Draco and he whispers, By the way, Draco. You can forget about marrying my daughter. It's like, oh, so now you've got this other side of it too that there are relationships with the, I want to call him Sith Emperor, with the Emperor and his knights. You know, you've got his relationship with the Imperial Knight. Then you've got his relationship with his daughter, his relationship with the, the citizens of the Empire and the public where he's worried about them perceiving his actions and then you've got a very personal relationship with him and Draco where it seems like at one point he may have been okay with Draco courting his daughter but now he's throwing up the old daddy I got a shotgun wall. In the second Trust Issues arc I think the thing that got me was Jor Torlin his character like he's like a Sith spy like he works for the empire, but he's more Sith put in there that, that whole back and forth between her and, and Morgan cord, what was going on? I, I don't know. That's where I started to get lost. I, I couldn't quite understand why she wanted to, you know, stop the Imperials from getting with the Alliance. I wasn't quite sure what Naya's purpose in sending her at that point was, I didn't realize it was her either. So I, You know, I was still trying to understand why she was playing all sides at that point. I mean, granted, when we later find out that she is playing more sides than we are even aware of at this point, it makes a little more sense. But that's where it starts to get a little confusing. I mean, you know, if you can ride through the confusion, maybe come back to the issue later and read through it again, I think you'll understand it more. But it didn't hurt anything. It still added more depth to it. Yeah, we'll see more of that
0: later. It's one of those things that makes more sense in in retrospect, I guess, than it does otherwise. Um, Unlike things like Luke kissing Leia, which make less sense in retrospect. Um, Alright, that moves us into the next issue in the trade paperback, which is actually issue 13, jumping over a two-issue arc in the regular series here, and that is the next of these sort of standalone throwaway issues, this being one you really could probably toss out the window, called Ready to Die. Is again by John Ostrander, just like all the rest of them. But the art is again by Colin Wilson, and I gotta say, Colin Wilson's art sometimes is tough to follow. This issue has some of his work. I don't want to use the word worse, but I guess worse is the right term for it. His his less good his worse uh, artwork in Legacy, and it's also made a little bit more confusing because his art style is somewhat abstract compared to someone like Dursima's. And we start on the planet Muntu. Cordu, or Monto Cordu, which has the Cordu G species. Now, if you don't remember them from the Crystal Star, since they barely show up anywhere else, um, you might be wondering, who are these people and what am I seeing? We basically have a local power struggle. One guy wants to get the other groups, the other families, uh, to join together to uh, be able to resist the Empire as opposed to going along with, you know, what the Empire is offering, okay? Um, there's a local politics angle here, and it's not really the key issue that makes this story stand out, but we're meeting the leader of the guys trying to kind of get them to work against the Empire, and we briefly meet his wife, and we meet what looks like his dog. Well, see, that's the thing. The Cordu G, as introduced in the Crystal Star, start out as these weird six-legged wolf-looking beings. Okay, they call themselves aren't they werewolves? Yeah, like werewolves. I was trying to find the exact name. I don't think it's in the issue. They start as werewolves. They start as these little, basically dog-looking creatures. They can't speak. They just kind of like run around and like kind of they do the the Scooby-Doo without the dialogue. look it over here. Then they go into a cocoon, that's right, a six-legged wolf thing going into a cocoon, and come out as a, instead of six-legged, a two-legged and four-armed humanoid. And all the other characters that we're seeing, um, while well, we're on Cordu G, except for the Sith, um, are these two-legged, four-armed humanoids, except for the little dog dude. And... It really is weird. It took me the second reading, I think, back in the day to realize that that really was the sun they were talking about. It's not that the sun wasn't there. That is the sun. Um, it's just odd. I mean, it's it's very Star Warsy, very unusual, and fits in with stuff like the Crystal Star. I think if you're going to have an artist like this handling it, though, and you're not going to flat-out call it out or something, I think it could be somewhat confusing at the beginning of this issue. But we find oh, that the A dar- little
1: disappointing. I mean, let's stop and talk about the fact that the guy's got lightsabers on his belt, and then when the fight starts out, he pulls out knives. It's like, dude, you've got lightsabers on your belt. What the hell? They disappear. That is it, true. It, you the got guy's the heads four cut off. The guards that, that have their heads cut off got, like, this droid look to them. No, no description, no... There was a lot of, like, you're just kind of supposed to roll with it, I guess.
0: <laughs> it, re- it reminds me in a lot of ways, because basically what you've got is you've got that confrontation... And then the Darth, the Sith Lord who was there, Darth Cruel, supposed to, I guess, be pronounced Cruel, uh, Darth Cruel or Cruel, gets called away and then goes on the mission that is the focal point of how this fits in with everything else and even fits in with the cover art. So I'm wondering if this is meant to be sort of like a James Bond type of thing where you usually had the end of one mission without a lot of explanation and then the. Dah, dah, dah. And then we see him walk across the screen, shoot at the camera, and then the main mission starts. Then the main movie starts. Because um, we really yeah. don't get much in terms of, of backstory or information there. We pick up then with the Imperial Star Destroyer, the Palaean-class Star Destroyer, Dauntless. And we find that Cruel has a new mission. Um, basically, there's a, an Imperial governor, Governor Dorn who is, or at least was, at one point on good terms with Emperor Fell. they know that Fell is on Bastion, as we saw back in Broken, but there's no way they could attack Bastion because it would take the bulk of their fleet, and it just, it would not be, uh, it may be worthwhile to take down Fell, but it would not be effective in a cost-benefit analysis sort of situation. But Kroll figures that he could get onto the planet, with Dorn being the one taking the Star Destroyer supposedly to join Fell, he could sneak onto the planet, use that as an opportunity to get close to fell and kill him, and that would sort of sever the head from the beast. It goes off pretty much as planned. Dorn shows up. Fell's not stupid, you know. They're taking a lot of precautions, but the Sith is able to escape uh, from the ship anyway. Works his way to where Fell is meditating, but Fell has sensed him coming, and we get a brief battle. I guess to sort of show that Fell really is a warrior in and of himself, not just him being seen fighting to save his life to escape back in allies, but he really is a fully trained Sith, or, uh, uh, Imperial Knight.
1: So yeah. he fights I love that, that dialogue there when that goes down. I felt a dark ripple in the force when you landed. He goes, but you did not summon your knights. I am a knight fully capable of handling a Sith.
0: Yeah, and they say that in the dialogue. That is one of those issues that I have with Colin Wilson's artwork. That two-page spread in which he says that on the left side, and on the right-hand side, we find basically Kroll does a flip over, fell, but fell uh, puts a gauntlet in the way, and it turns out it's a cortosis gauntlet, and it shuts down Kroll's lightsaber, basically, so that Kroll has to resort to force lightning. But when you see the artwork on that left-hand page, when he's saying "I felt the dark ripple," the way it's drawn, and I wonder if it's just because they've got the panel on the bottom left being tall enough that it goes basically up to the knees of Fell in the previous panel. It looks like Fell's a midget. They basically make Fell and Cole <laughs> both look like midgets. They are they have they have extra I mean this it's kind of the, the, the stereotype midget type thing. Um, where you've got someone who is shorter and who is more squat in the sense that the head and the arms look thicker in proportion to what the body should be given the height. Because it's not a child- Ring dwarfs. Yeah, exactly. It's not child-type height and body build. It's dwarf-style uh, or midget-style body build just in that couple of scenes. And I'm like, really? Is Rowan Fell really that squat and odd-looking of a guy? He actually reminds me of the guy, Declan Mulholland, I think was the guy's name, the guy that they had standing in for Jabba the Hutt Back when they couldn't put the a uh, job ah. over him, so they eventually wound up putting CG over him.
1: It's um, funny because for me, I see Elder Mel Gibson. I don't know why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Sith are all backed by the Jews, and that would be Mel Gibson with his anti-Semitic <laughs> ranting recently. Um, in any event, so uh, the two duke it out, and you know the, the Sith's comment is you know that he is ready to die, and Fel kills him. And sends Dorn back to Malady with Kroll's lightsaber as a message, you know, don't mess with me type of message. And of course, Malady kills Dorn for it. Um, and she starts doing more scheming to try to find a way to uh, to to bring down Fell, and that she needs to put him, or she needs to solidify the position of an agent in the palace, or a, an agent on Bastion, to get close to Fell and. Really, the only thing that stands out of this issue that makes me think it has a a broader tie to much of anything else is Krait's final comments, which are, Be careful, Malady, that you do not scheme for scheming's sake. Don't become so enamored of your plotting that you lose sight of your goal, the death of Rowan Fell. Which gives us some sense of the character of Malady, in that she is sort of a plots-within-plots type of character. But otherwise, I would say that this is an issue that could be completely thrown out, and the legacy story would not suffer at all. It's not a bad issue, a little confusing at the beginning. It's just not an issue that needs to be there. It is sort of the definition of filler.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing this really serves is the Emperor himself. I like how you mentioned, you know, the James Bond feel with, with the Sith Lord. Kind of gives you, okay, well, that may, maybe now I understand why he's going after the Emperor, because he can handle himself. Although granted, when you're going up against a, a four-armed guy with a knife, and you've got the lightsaber, it's not really that much of, of a difficult challenge. Uh but when when the emperor goes, good, I'm prepared to kill you, he kind of like shoves his hand up underneath the Sith, and then he uses a blaster. And I, I like that, and I thought that was kind of telling, you know, that he is willing to do whatever it takes. And the Sith's kind of like looking down because his, you know, I, which is funny because he drops the lightsaber. You'd think like he would see this coming and, and do it, but he goes the Emperor goes, I believe in having backups. And he's got the Blaster Pistol held that way. And he just kind of tosses the weapon down. It kind of reminds me of a very Kenobi and Grievous, you know, he just drops down. (laughs) He's like, I'm done. He calls the uh, Sith Lord's lightsaber to his hand, you know, and he's like, I'm going to send it back and send him with a message. But, I I agree though, you don't need this issue. It doesn't have to be there. It's nothing in that regard. I mean, it's interesting just in the aspect that you now learn that the emperor is fully trained as a Jedi. Although I believe one of the uh, zero or 0.5 issues also mentioned that, but yeah, I mean, it it serves its purpose to give you a little bit, another shard into the, the view of the empire. Uh, And then before we move on, I wanted to mention in, in issue number nine, at the back of it, you know, we mentioned this in our Broken coverage, and we even included a photo of the two. They included a panel from uh, one of the issues of Broken where it was uh, blue in the bed and not the Empress, uh, and this is the corrected one. I don't know why they slid it in the back of number nine. There's not even a comment. Hey, we made a mistake. They just stuck it in there. No, I think uh, there, so, there
0: there is a comment if I remember right. If you look at the- um. I want to say it's With on the, the comments end of on the letter page. On the letter
1: page, yeah. Okay, well then that would make sense, but and that's why partially why I also like getting these though because they do give you those letter pages. The letter pages in the back, you know, sometimes you get little. Uh, slang words, stuff like that, or, you know, in the beginning, like, it'll give you a different point of view, like, led by Darth Krayt, the Sith rule the Empire, no longer constrained by the rule of two, the Sith or legion, yet their domination of the galaxy remains incomplete, opposed by remnants of the Jedi and the Galactic Alliance, as well as the deposed Emperor Roan Fell, who is hiding on the planet Bastion. So each one of those gives you a little different point of view as it kind of gives you the setup, which you don't get in the trade, but at the same time, getting these, I had no clue that they were out of order until I went back to reread them and saw that in the trade, or as you pointed out to me, hey, these are not in the right order. You wouldn't have known that going through. So, I mean, there is that give and take still when it comes to if you're going to read them in one form or the other. In this case, I couldn't tell you which one's my preferred because this time I'm actually going with the singles. There are other times where I'm like, well, you know, the trade's the better way to go. But I think in this case, you're getting more with what you're getting in the letter pages and and that stuff in your singles than you would in other lines. I mean, not every editor is going to give you the same amount of information in the background. So in this case, you are getting a little more for your money in the singles.
0: And that brings us to the last arc of this trade paperback. This is issues 11 and 12, entitled Ghosts. And finally, we have a story that focuses on Cade Skywalker, the main protagonist of the series. So Jan Dersima is back doing the artwork. Uh, as we head towards Claws of the Dragon, the big sort of game-changing story that comes very soon. And this one has a lot uh, of cool moments in it, but at the same time, it's not one that's really focused so much on the struggle between uh, Cade and the Sith, or the Jedi and the Sith, so much as it's more of an internal struggle for Cade.
1: And isn't the cover, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time we get the computer-looking covers as well. Those digital, like, they look like they've been generated, not really drawn. I mean, it it still says it's Jan doing it, but... I remember when I saw these covers, it was like, whoa, it, it had a very kind of almost Clone Wars look to it.
0: Yeah, it is kind of a different look to the, to the covers on these. Um, we start out on Osis, where we, of course, know that Cade has gone thanks to trust issues, right? He was uh, able to go there and not get stopped by his mama because she turned and walked away. We find him in a drug-induced haze because of his death sticks and have some weirdness in what should be a totally awesome sequence. Um, he winds up having essentially a Force vision in which he's talking to Mara Jade Skywalker. Uh, granted, for those who dislike the the sexualization of her character so much, she's in that cat suit that gets so much uh, crap these days. Um, but Mara Jade Skywalker speaks with him about, you know, how she's sort of walked both sides. She was the Emperor's hand. She was also Luke Skywalker's uh, wife. She knows what it's like to struggle on the inside and whatnot. Uh, he gets a visit. Force vision or spiritually, presumably, force vision of uh, Anakin slash Vader. I say Anakin slash Vader because at different times he looks like Anakin or he looks like Vader. Um, the idea of essentially a. Uh, it, it sounds like he's trying to seduce Cade at first into following the dark side, but it winds up being more about the idea that you can't run away from this being part of your legacy and the fact that, you know, uh, you know this is what you could become and what You don't understand power and such. Who I am, what I am, is also part of your legacy and your destiny. And we see Cade essentially battle against Vader until he stabs Cade, uh, shows himself burned. There's a great line where he says that anger must be focused if it's going to be used, made into a weapon as tight and controlled and deadly as a lightsaber. Or it can be used against you as we see him removing his helmet and being all burned and such a... Uh, as Obi-Wan turned it against me. Your scars go deep and are more than physical. They go to the core of your being. You cannot deny your power in the Force. It is there whether you will it or not. You must learn the discipline to master it. If you do not learn control, this could be your fate. If you do not learn control, you will die. And it ends with him essentially waking up to what he thinks is another vision, which is actually Crook coming to see him, uh, having been drawn to Osis. But may I say that as awesome as this sequence is, it is blown by the ridiculous use of the Star Wars swearing and Star Wars angry talk. Um, when Vader lunges in the Vision at Cade and grabs him for the first time, or is, is drawing his lightsaber on him for the first time, where he says, you know, who and what I am is also part of your legacy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Cade's response is, and I quote, before he says the, you know, kind of well done, I'm not you, I'm not your son, you lived your lives and now you're dead, so shut up! right? Because he's trying to get the voices out of his head. Before he says that, he says, cark this destiny sludge, I'll make my own way. Cark this destiny sludge? Please don't ever write a line like that again. Not only is he saying, cark this destiny sludge, who calls something like that sludge? Uh, as opposed to crap or something else, as opposed to the S word. And cark That's right, Kate Skywalker is using a Star Wars swear word best known as coming from the second season of the god-awful Ewoks cartoon series. Not the best writing moment for John Ostrander in that particular scene. Otherwise, it's a great (laughs) scene, but why ruin it with that kind of dialogue, that clunky mess of dialogue there?
1: Yeah, I mean they could have, I mean, Kark this destiny, they could have gotten away with that, but add the sludge. It's like, Kirk, this destiny sludge. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I just see, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves come out all of a sudden there.
0: <laughs> so like, or, or have, I mean, it remind it, it take, I mean, na- take any, you know, big film quality. It doesn't worry. It's like, it's like a, uh, I'm tired of these mother kissing snakes on this mother kissing plane. Or, I mean, yeah. Imagine, imagine a, John McClane in
1: Die Hard, you know, Yippee Ki Mother Pooper, or, no! or throw some Mando in there. Fire Frick this Destiny, you
0: know. <laughs> I don't know. It <laughs> just it, it does not the, the line does
1: not work. Well, but getting getting to where you know you said all the the great stuff, but the part that that jumps in for me that that sets that scene is when he's as Anakin still, and he's talking about you know knowing what it means. Uh, he goes, "I know the Chosen One, the betrayer." This is Cade talking. And the biggest reason I can think of for anyone named Skywalker to avoid being a Jedi and Anakin responds, you know, so much you understand so little about the force, about power. And his eye starts sithing out, you know, doing the whole red Sith sun thing. And then it goes, I know. And his eye gets bigger and it starts changing to the Vader mask. And then it goes to the Vader mask and he says power. And then he goes into that. And I like how, you know, he's explaining the power, you know, that that everything you said, you know, but it, it's like he's like he flat out says, you know, you think, you know, but you have no understanding. And and let me explain it to you so you can understand. And that's really for me. That's that's the power of this moment here that, you know, even though he's on the death sticks, he's still having what he's trying to get away from. I mean, you know, Mara shows up the force ghost. that that the death sticks are supposed to be deadening him to anyway. Didn't really work. I mean, I I don't know. For me, I think this issue is probably one of my favorite issues. I mean, even with the weird stuff going on there, maybe it's because my favorite character is the one that shows up on the next page. Maybe that's it. Probably is. Ugh.
0: Kukkuk. Ugh. Anyway, so Kukrook shows up. Uh, He's been drawn there. He saves Cade essentially from himself. Uh, Cade has the ability to essentially tap into the dark side and heal himself uh, the way that he heals others, in a sense, to kind of make himself good as new after using the drugs and whatnot, but Crook uh, essentially tries to heal Cade, in a sense, of, of sort of his inner pain plus the womb. We find that Wolf Sazen and Shado Val both show up as well. They, you know, they just, whenever they were dropped off, I mean, they kept an eye on... Cade's likely next jump point and just headed straight for Ossus, figuring that's where he's going to be. And then we get the beginning of what in this issue kind of bothers me, which is the wishy-washy Cade. Um, we will find that Cade alternates several times in this, in this uh, two-issue arc between, I don't want to be a Jedi. Okay, I'll be a Jedi. I don't want to be a Jedi anymore. Okay, I'll be a Jedi. Make up your mind, you drug-addled moron. Um, suffice to say, by the time he meets again with Shado and Wolf and is meeting with Crook, after having had that series of drug-induced force visions, he says, uh, I think maybe I'm glad you found me, Master Sazen. I want to complete my training as a Jedi. Uh, he ex- further explains, Being on Ossus, I'm seeing things different. Not uh, Now the Sith know me and what I am. Figure sooner or later I'll have to deal with them so I'd better have my skills up to snuff. Now, That at least is more of a self-serving reason for wanting to uh, and coming out of the vision. It sort of makes sense for him to want to. But again, he will waffle back and forth in a really annoying way in this couple of issues. We briefly shift back to Socorro, to Nim's base, where we find uh, Jiraiya and Delia showing up again after having been left by Cade. Um, They show up and basically they are immediately turned over by Nim. or by I keep saying Nim, don't I? Uh, by, what's the uh, what's the dude's name? Uh, his name is Rav, excuse me. Uh, yeah. By Rav. Looks uh, like Nim's, Nim. Yeah, looks like Nim. Uh, especially Nim in Galaxies. Uh, Rav, they show up for Rav, and Rav turns them over to the Imperials, who basically, at the order of Nina Calixter, are basically being told, you know, uh, we don't want you, we want Cade, so we are taking you into custody. Again, knowing now that Nina and Morrigan are the same, as we later find out, this kind of left me going what? Unless the whole idea is for her to get to them so that others can't get to them first, and maybe use having them in custody as a way to protect Cade? It's a little odd. Again, it it's, it, it made me think sometimes that Morgan and Nina aren't just the same person. They're multiple personalities within the same person. Um, because so much of Nina, when I read this a second time, feels odd knowing who she is as we find out later in the story. Suffice to say, uh, Cade and Shado keep uh, doing their uh, practice-type battles. Uh, Cade is using some of the tricks he's learned, not using the Force as a way to try to uh, better himself. We see uh, Wolf talking about how he has essentially this, this vision, uh, that a Skywalker will return to the Jedi and bring them back together and whatnot, and they believe that Cade is him. And you know, it, which is more dangerous: letting him be on his own or training him, knowing that he could fall to the dark side and such. And at the end of the first part, uh, Shado and Cade, as they're practicing, wind up falling down into this uh, like underground cavern filled with a bunch of Jedi artifacts. Of course Shado's thinking, wow, this is priceless because it's Jedi artifacts, uh, they're they're worth much to the Jedi Cades thinking, hey, what could I get for them? They are immediately attacked by two surprising Yuzhan Vong, Chokkaskel and Lian La, um, who are there with Neyrin. Rin. And this is the arc in which we finally learn a little bit more about the background of the Osis project. Because Neyrin Rin says, wait a second, don't don't kill them, they're Jedi. Don't you realize that? And she eventually it's weird because uh, at one point in the issue later on, it seems like she recognizes Cade. But at the same time, at one point, she is like, you know, have you for Cade like have you forgotten me so soon? You know, you know me? And she has to be told that it's Cade. It seems like there's an inconsistency there in the issue of whether or not she recognizes that this is Cade or not. Uh, in any event. So she explains you know, the situation where you know, back during the OSIS project, they were trying to use Yuzhan Vong uh, biotech to try to essentially uh, recreate worlds and undo some of the damage that they did and basically try to help people as a way of making up for the Yuzhan Vong war. Cole Skywalker was heavily involved in it only –
1: That was his idea.
0: Right. Only the seeds that they had left – Uh, and and all the things that they had set up so carefully wind up going awry and harming the populations of those worlds. Uh, War broke out over it. The Sith, or the Empire, urged on by the Sith, used this as the excuse to go to war. Really, the Sith were the ones who sabotaged it in the first place, and they've been trying to find a way to undo that damage. They left to try to find the secrets of how to undo it. By the time these three Yuuzhan Vong got back, the Battle of Ossus had already taken place. Uh, The fires were still burning. Cade was gone, and they've been here since then. And they offered these Jedi artifacts to Cade because he's a Skywalker. It's his legacy. Uh, in fact, uh, Kirkrook Kirk says, you know, Cole Skywalker was your greatest warrior. His son should be the one to care for the Jedi legacy, or the Jedi, he says, legacy. The, to, or, no, excuse me, that's uh, said by Rin to Kirkrook. Kirk. But this is when Cade all of a sudden goes back and goes, I don't want it. Legacy, tradition, I call it karking, Uh, karking slavery. Guardians of peace and justice, sure. Brave, honorable Jedi trying to trying to police a karking galaxy that keeps turning on them. Blast your traditions. I'm not gonna be a slave to them. I'm not gonna be haunted by them. Etc., etc. etc. And all of a sudden, now he doesn't want to be Jedi again. Um probably because he's being confronted by all these things from the past and he's just an unstable guy, but for the love of God, make up your mind, man. Until he goes out and he it actually looks like he was thinking about uh Possibly killing himself, Um he's got his death sticks and stuff with him. He's on like the edge, but it's not really that he's trying to kill himself. He's going to where his father died. Um, he's going to where Cole Skywalker fell. And he talks with um, with Wolf, and you now he says he came to Osis to die, but now he's just trying to reconnect with his father, like his father's Force ghost. Um, uh, it's it's this idea of being he needs to be able to confront that head on. You know, he says you know, uh, he's using the death sticks to dull the memory of my father. It's him you're angry with. Shut up, or I'll shut you up. And he starts beating on uh, Sazen. Briefly says uh, you know asks he asks why he came here. Says you know to find him to confront him to shut him up. I hear his voice over and over in my head, nagging at me, but I never feel his presence. Not in my dreams, not in my visions. It's as if his spirit avoids me. Maybe. Maybe if during that final battle, if I hadn't distracted him, if I had been stronger, faster, better. And you get this sense that he's been carrying around a lot of guilt about the idea that he thinks he could have somehow saved his father and that this was all his fault. That his father died because of him. And because of that, when he say, you know, he says he hears his father, I think it's more he hears his father in his memories. He, he hears his voice. He wants to connect with them. He wants to be forgiven. And yet... The spirit never appears to him at that point, and he fights with Saison in this this frustration of his uh, uh, until finally, again, he's left with this idea of, you know, uh, the hard truth is that nothing you could have done would have changed that, except getting yourself and the ones Cole committed to your protection killed, and that would have made your father's sacrifice meaningless. It's all very hard to accept, Kate. It was hard for me, says Saison. We both have to be worthy of your father's sacrifice. To which Cade responds, changing his mind again, you have a nasty way with the truth, Master. Always did, even when it hurt. This time, it hurt a lot. I think you may be ready for the meditation of emptiness, Cade. I can help you focus on the meditation. Et cetera, et cetera. And he begins doing Jedi-style training again, thinking back to when he was uh, at peace above Osis, thinking he was going to die. We see a little bit of how he is saved by Rav, and first meets Jiraiya, who seems already to recognize that Cade is a Jedi, uh, or at least had had Force abilities. But the fact that they were both essentially orphans taken in by Rav means, you know, hey, you know, uh, we'll be brothers. Even though we we learn in this issue that it was a Jedi who killed the the father of Jariah Sin, and we finally get the impetus for what is going to push us into Claws of the Dragon, the next big game changing arc for Legacy. He has a vision in which he sees somewhere like. Who the heck is is that? Lion-O from Thundercats? Before he sees an image of Darth Krayt's face, it's Hosk Trailis. It's the guy that showed up earlier in this trade paperback, briefly being interrogated. The Jedi that Cade managed to capture and hand over to Rav to hand over to the Sith. And Luke Skywalker appears to him in a vision, basically saying, "You know, this was your problem. You started this. You can't change everything, but this you can undo. This it's your responsibility." Essentially to undo. You must make this right. And he decides that he is going to go to Coruscant on his own to try to save Hosk Trelis, and he's given his father's lightsaber by Nayrin. He's also given, and this thrilled me like crazy when we first read it, um, R2-D2. Because R2 has been in their care, and R2 has been serving their family for a long time, and he's been updated to current specs, so R2-D2 joins Cade on the Minok as they fly off to head to Coruscant. And he has that wonderful line that is one of the most important lines and the driving themes, just like we take what is given. We get this great line, no one dies for me, never again. It is that line, and we take what is given, I think, that has burned Cade enough into my mind that if Jody and I ever have a son, we've already agreed he will be named Cade Franklin Butler, after my grandfather for Franklin, but Cade. Because he is such a complex character who has these, these, deeply held, fundamental beliefs that no matter whether he's light side, darts, no matter how he's being tested or changed, it's this level of, we must accept what happens. But at the you know when we must accept, you know, give me the you know peace and serenity, etc., to accept the things I cannot change. But at the same time, he is not willing to let others sacrifice themselves or be harmed on his behalf. Um, it is a really powerful two issues. On the other hand, it is two issues that don't have a lot in the way of action, but a heck of a lot in the way of character development. I just wish Cade wasn't quite so wishy washy throughout, though I guess that was kind of the point. He's trying to have to come to a decision. Yeah. Um, But definitely feels a little disjointed as far as Cade's attitude is concerned.
1: See, I like these issues, and, you know, I've said before, I like Cade in the aspect that he is an addict. You know, there is that real world aspect to him. Uh, You know, right now my brother-in-law is fighting alcoholism and just over the weekend went up to get into detox and in the process of all that, his body started to shut down. They sent him to the ER and they gave him literally – he's got three days with a 50-50 shot. Either he will come through or he will die and he pulled through and unfortunately, as soon as he came through, he wanted to go home. He did not want to go back into the program. Everybody was just like, really? Are you kidding me? So he went back home. Two days went by, he wants to get back on the program again. And he's just back and forth. And when I was dealing with my own addictions, that was another one of those things where you're constantly wanting to, to change the situation you're in, but finding the strength to do it is difficult. And sometimes you will think you have the strength to do it, but the addiction's more powerful. And, and you have this back and forth, this constant battle with yourself. And and for me, that was the struggle Cade's going through here. Um You know, when K'Kruk shows up, he's kind of surrounded by snow and all this, and there's a moment where he says to, to Kate, he goes, what makes you think I'm not real? And while he says that, all the snow behind him disappears, and he's still there, and the temple around him comes into focus, and the snow, you realize it was never there. Cade's been hallucinating and and Cade even says, you know, first the whip, it takes away my buzz. Next thing I'm looking at your ugly muds. And he's talking about Shadow and Wolf being there. But the snow is kind of what the Death Sticks are doing to him. He's hallucinating, not just seeing, you know, Mara Jade Skywalker and these other people that he's supposedly taking this because it's supposed to deaden his connection. He's not supposed to be seeing them. Uh, You know, I, I kind of attribute that to the unifying force that even though he's having a living force reaction that he's not supposed to be feeling this, that the force still gets through because it's in everything. Uh, But watching, you know, where he goes from that and how that addiction and and the way that the the drug reacts to him and how it changes his thought processes and stuff like that, you know, it's, I I think that's what makes this more deep to me. The the issue where you had mentioned where Wolf's talking with Kakruk and they're talking about Cade's future. Uh, you know, Kakruk goes, his future is clouded, the dark side still pulls strongly at him, as it once did Anakin Skywalker. If we train him, we may be training a new Vader. And I love that scene originally, but after reading Crucible recently and having Luke and Jaina say the same thing to uh Bixon, the uh, little Torguda uh Jedi Padawan. I don't know, it, it it adds to that level of depth, you know, that the Jedi are very, very much aware of what could happen when a Jedi turns dark and very much more so to someone who has Skywalker blood, because not only did they see it with Anakin, they also watched Jason do it as well. So, you know, crucible came out afterwards as did most of those books about Jason's fall. And yet it still impacts the story. And I love the way that that works. the whole back and forth again, I cannot say it enough. I think that that goes into hand in hand with the addiction aspect. I mean, to me, that makes sense. Uh, you know, there was a lot of people that complained about Jason Solo having that whole back and forth as well. When a person is growing, and I'm not just talking physically, I'm talking mentally, there is a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of concepts that we we think we've learned that as we grow up, like a year goes by, and we add new concepts to it that changes the way those concepts originally apply to us. And I think when you deal with addictions, with drug abuse and things like that, that it's easy for those who've never dealt with it to get frustrated with it right away and be like, okay, this back and forth is, it's old. But when you've dealt with it, when you've lived with it, when you know people that are struggling with it, it's constant. It never, it never really goes away. I mean, I, I, I talk about my own alcoholism. I haven't touched alcohol aside from wine in since Oh nine, but I'm constantly afraid that if I grab a shot glass and get started, that, the me of my teenage years will come back full vengeance because there is a me that likes that buzz. And that's my fear. You know, I don't want to get back to there and get to a spot where I will convince myself that I can, I can be responsible because I know I can't, I know that I can convince myself I'm being responsible till I get to a point where I wake up and I'm like, okay, I have that problem again. And, you know, for me, that was my struggle. And so watching Cade constantly do that, that over and over and over again and watching it be frustrating for a lot of people, to me, like, I think they did a good job of containing it. It's more, you know, you, you get a few arcs like this one where it's two issues where they really drum it into you. But for the most part, I think it's kind of spread out. You know, it's always prevalent but this issue really drives it home and you watch in a sense, him kind of get his first step towards recovery. He will continue to fall again as we see, you know, his struggle with the light and the dark, he's dealing with more aspects of his addiction than just the drugs. I mean, he's got the force itself that he is dealing with, with his rejection of that and, and kind of how he will use it. And and you see his, his drug addiction kind of being, a way he's looking at it. Like he doesn't want to deal with one side or the other significantly. He doesn't want to get hooked on it. And so he's trying to figure out where he goes with that. I don't know. To me, this is such a deep arc and what it does for the character. Like you say, you know, you want to name your kid after him. It's the issue It's this is the trade where I fell in love with the character more so than I did watching him, watch his father fall, watching him, you know, all all that comes to fruition here you know you watch it all hit him and for somebody who has struggled with these addictions it made his struggles that much more meaningful for me you know he had more on the line The, the back and forth there was risk involved if he went back one way or the other so i was very much into where are we going with this character because you know yeah he's kind of going towards the jedi way but he's still conflicted and they need that to deliver on where we're going to go next, which we will, you know, eventually get to in our next arc. But he continues to go down some dark paths. So that back and forth nature, I think it's required still at this point to sell the later paths that he's going to walk.
0: Yeah, I guess I would end with just, again, kind of what I like about the way that they handle the character here. Uh, the the wishy washing is kind of going on with his, his sort of conflicted character. I mean, somebody who's watched people die that he cared about being torn away from his old life. Uh, in, in, from every turn, especially when it comes to, you know, the whole idea of him trying to confront the, essentially the ghost of his father, not really a forced ghost, but this the memory of his father and such. It really all comes down with him to that whole, we take what is given. But he's not someone who's generally able to do that. He is someone who, because of the traumas he's gone through, he lacks the ability to feel in control. And when he's in, he tries to get in control, He's not willing to simply let go. Um, to pull this back to sort of the that, that Christian prayer that I had mentioned a moment ago, I think it the, the original version of it very much fits with Cade. I mean, you'd have to swap out God for the force, but we're familiar with this idea of that prayer being, uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's something that's actually been picked up by a lot of groups, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, I think Narcotics Anonymous used it as well as sort of a way of grounding yourself and saying, you know, there may be things I can't control, but I don't have to. I can let it go. I can make a positive effort in my life, but sometimes I just kind of have to let things happen. The original version of that prayer, as far as I know, uh, goes back to this guy named Niebuhr, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. He was an American uh, Protestant uh, writer, uh, a pastoring writer. And the original version, I think, very much sums up the struggle that Cade goes through. And again, you'd have to swap out some of the terminology for Star Warsy terms, but it fits fairly well with him and, and the journey he's on throughout this series. Um, the original says, says, God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. And that's very much really what Kate is doing. He's struggling so hard to find a way to take things as they are to make the best out of it, and to essentially find some measure of contentment, happiness, peace in this world, especially that idea of accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. And I know it's, it's, that's a particularly a Christian prayer, but it's like a concept that goes across a lot of different religions. I mean, just the idea of, you know, if I surrender to your will, I mean, that's, that's the concept of Islam. Islam literally means translated, surrender to the will of Allah. Uh, a Muslim translated is one who has surrendered his will to Allah. Um again so the the God of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, same God, different belief systems based on the way they think about their own past and whatnot. Allah just being like a capital A Arabic word for God, the way that capital G God is for Christians and, and uh Jews and such. So we've got this sort of this parallel. And I think it, it, it brings a lot of humanity to the character because not only is he going through the kinds of things that people in real life go through, he's having the same sort of theological struggles almost that a lot of people go through. In his case, it's with the Force, and it's something that's a lot more tangible. I mean, you're not going to see someone in real life who's dealing with their own spiritual struggles and that sort of thing, their own struggles about belief, have to worry that if they, you know, if they wind up not following uh, the, the right form of religion, that all of a sudden they're going to spout lightning from their hands and start dominating the entire planet. Um, nothing like that, but in a very real way, it's what sci-fi does. Well, it's taking the type of struggle that people go through in real life and giving it that sci-fi edge. And in this case, that edge amps up the drama and gives it more of a sense of, of danger of what happens if he becomes a Sith and whatnot. But Cade is one of the most human, albeit flawed, perhaps that's what makes him human, Star Wars characters that we've gotten. It really, in a very long time, uh, I've always said that Cade Skywalker and Ulick Keldroma, when it comes to being uh, troubled individuals, uh, they make Anakin look like nothing. You know, Anakin <laughs> Skywalker and the way he was handled in the films is very straightforward and very, yeah, compared to the depth that is given to those two characters. Um, they will probably forever be uh, probably my top two Star Wars characters of all time.
1: Yeah, I I think the flaw is what makes him human in this case. I mean, it's what appeals to me. I I enjoy flawed characters. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the human aspect. I think deep down we're all flawed, and those of us that aren't haven't figured out that that is their flaw. Ooh, that
0: was deep as hell. Alright, I guess we're in a position now to wrap up this episode on that uh, very, very deep, very profound note out there. We've probably got some people in the audience going, I thought I was great. Is that my problem? I like it.
1: That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on iTunes which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're there you can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar but no matter how you get there be sure to like our page it's one of the best ways to interact with us not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can email us directly at SW Beyond Films at Star Wars now, real quick, we wanted to point out a staff opportunity over at the Star Wars Report. We are looking to increase our bot and spy ranks. So, if you enjoy spreading new Star Wars slash EU news with your friends and the fandom, we'd like to give you the opportunity to join us as a unifying force in fandom. Please send us an email. You can send it to Star Wars Report at gmail.com with the title Interested Reporter to start the application process. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars report you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months and there are zero questions asked. In this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the world of audio... Audible just might be right for you.
0: And uh, let me kind of expand on what I usually say. Let me give you four links here that will be helpful because of stuff that is uh, being wrapped up here at the end of summer that will probably be available by the time you hear this episode. One, of course, if you want to check out that uh, Amazon store that my wife and I have it is amazon.com slash shops slash lil joe collectibles l-i-l-j-o collectibles always one word got stuff in there everything from barbies to comics to some star wars stuff and whatnot so check that out just a, a way to help support us and whatnot here and get those hopefully out to folks who actually want them as opposed to just you know doubling a garage sale or something um also though i've put up some new photos a lot of new photos of my star wars collection particularly of the home video side of it On my Flickr, it is flickr, F-L-I-C-K-R dot com slash photos slash Nathan P. Butler, all as one word. You can also, of course, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash chronoradio, C-H-R-O-N-O radio. Again, all as one word. Uh, You should be seeing, if not by now, you'll be seeing a pickup. Uh, from the Star Wars Library, along with a new side series from the Star Wars Home Video Library, which should be pretty cool. Lots of clips and whatnot, uh, dealing with the different versions of Star Wars on Home Video out there. And, of course, the big one, as of August 4th, 2013, we have a brand new edition, a record-breaking new edition, as far as new content goes, of the Star Wars Timeline Gold. You can find it at StarWarsFanWords.com slash timeline. You can find its Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SWTimelineGold. This one is the one that finally adds in all of the Old Republic MMOs, storylines, and whatnot. It is huge. About 250 or so, because I'm still working on it right now, uh, 250 pages or so of new information, making this the largest update to that project ever and making this year's and last year's the two largest ever. So be sure to check that out and spread the word so we can build up that Facebook page and whatnot.
1: Nice. That is impressive. Always love it when a new edition comes out. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler and Nathan saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you
0: and don't quote us the odds that we'll get some email from some crazy person on some side of the spectrum over the fact that religion was brought up at all in the episode
1: yes or that we're going to put this in order That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. So I'm going to catch that moment again. Because I, I know I'm going to edit it out and it was all funny and then I'm going to come in and I'll be all serious. That about wraps up this episode. Alright. I,
0: I, transi- I can transition for
1: you. Okay.
0: Okay, take a deep breath and go.